Hello and welcome to Plotress. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're talking about It Happened One Autumn by Lisa Claypas. This was published in 2009 and is the second in the Wallflowers series. So this continues our read through of the Wallflowers, which uh, is very interesting upon rereading, I'm finding. I don't like this series. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I mean, we'll we'll talk about it. But yeah, this book was definitely underwhelming. Um, I remembered not loving it. And then I reread it. And I was like, ooh, what is this book? Well, and I know the most beloved is the next one, Devil in Winter. And I have stood by from the time I read this that St. Vincent's actions in this book are too irredeemable for him to then become a hero. And I am even more solid in my convictions after this reread. He is awful. He's, yeah, he's he's pretty bad here. I, I think a lot of characters come off really poorly in this book. Yep. So, all right, let's 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 get into it. Headstrong American heiress Lillian Bowman has come to England to find an aristocratic husband. Unfortunately, no man is strong enough to tame the stubborn beauty's fierce will, except perhaps the powerful and arrogant Earl of Westcliff, a man Lillian despises more than anyone she's ever met. Marcus, Lord Westcliff, is famous for his icy English reserve and his supreme self-control. But something about the audacious Lillian drives him mad. Whenever they're in the same room, they can't stop themselves from battling furiously to gain the upper hand. Then, one afternoon, a stunningly sensuous encounter changes everything, and Lillian discovers that beneath the Earl's reserved facade, he is the passionate and tender lover of her dreams. What neither Westcliff nor Lillian suspect, however, is that a sinister conspiracy threatens to destroy any chance of happiness. After a shocking betrayal endangers Lillian's safety, and possibly her life, will Marcus be able to save her before it's too late? This is a terrible book jacket. In fairness, this book has no plot. It has absolutely zero plot. So what were you going to put on the book jacket except a very sterile summary? Also, I can't read Sinister anymore without thinking Sinister. I was like, oh my gosh, is it a sinister conspiracy? (laughs) (laughs) Because it should be. It would be more interesting. Um, So our random number that we have for our own summaries this week is three. And mine is Westcliff finally falls. Yeah, because if you, I mean, if you've been listening to the podcast, Westcliff has appeared in Almost every single one of the Lisa Claypus books that we have reviewed. So he's been built up for quite a long time as the perfect hero. Mm-hmm. The enterprising Earl who isn't, doesn't look down on industry, who has a business sense, who has a very strong moral code, who has friends from all over. He's, you can tell he's like Lisa Claypus's ideal man. Yeah. All right. Let me here's here's my three three word review or three word summary. Perfume is personality. Yeah. Um we'll get to that because it's one of three things that happens 
I had completely forgotten about this part of the plot when I reread this book and I was like, oh yeah. And then I, then I remembered it again, but it, I mean, it's, it's this huge part of the plot. Yeah, but it's so stupid. It's really dumb. It's really dumb. So like, no wonder my mind blocked it. My mind blocked a lot of stuff out about this book. Yeah. I remembered like, like I'm not going to, okay. So I will tell you what I remembered about this book. Mm-hmm. What I remembered was when they were making out in his study and she, there was a stained glass window the light that fell on her. That's it. That's what I remembered about this book. Oh, okay. I was expecting more than that. No, no, that's <laughs> really it. That's really it. Um, I think I remembered the outlines, like Lillian and Daisy being brash New Yorkers who were sort of tomboyish. Yeah. Um, and that like Lillian and Westcliff hated each other. You see, I don't know if that I knew that, that really in my it? head. Yeah, that's all I really had in terms of memory. And I realize now I've and the fact that I hated St. Vincent and I think I blocked out everything else on purpose. Yeah, the same same here. Same here. Uh, Okay, let's let's go to the tropes and then we'll talk. Then I want to talk about Marcus. Yeah. Okay. so we have the American heiress who has to come to England to find an aristocratic husband or who wants to. Her family has the money. They want the title. Right. Well, and she can't find a husband in New York because they, the Knickerbockers, I guess, are sticking up their noses at these, at the nouveau riche of New York. Yeah, they bring up a lot that Lillian's grandmother was a dockside washerwoman. Mm-hmm. So they're very new money. Yeah. Uh, he's got an evil father. Oh, yes. He, well, the evil father is dead. He also has an evil mother. So he has evil right. parents. So it's the way it's kind of told is that his dad was actively abusive mm-hmm. in his childhood and his mother was absent, totally checked out and did nothing for her kids. And now she's just a snob who acts like she's got the moral high ground, even though everyone knows she doesn't. Yeah. This book is also the, the big enemies to lovers. So we already talked about it. That's really what's played up in the book jacket is that they can't stand each other and then they fall in love. So, you know, whatever. Uh, and then there's a couple of moments that are tropey in and of themselves. So there's a moment where she's playing rounders. And the whole thing with Lillian is she's an excellent pitcher, but a terrible hitter. And so Marcus takes it upon himself to teach her to hit. But he does it by, like, standing immediately behind her and positioning her. Out. And, like, it's every single 80s pool hall scene. Yeah. But played out in, you know, England in the olden days. I mean, I didn't. Ha- I'm gonna be honest. Did not hate that part. No, I, those little tropey moments are like one of my favorite aspects. They also like. There's a lot of so this whole book takes place at a house party that he's holding over several days, and there's a lot of we're gonna go off to the secret garden, we're gonna go off to the orangery, we're gonna go off, and like all of those moments are totally fine. Like yeah. there's the big emotional waltz. Mm-hmm. Like, all of that really plays out here. There's even a library sexual encounter, which I hated. Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah, hated it. It was awful. So there's a lot of tropes. It's just, this is a very beloved series, and I don't understand why. Well, I'm going to be honest. I don't see a lot of love for this book specifically. I think this book is the weakest of the whole series for sure I forget the fourth one even happened at least this one I know is Marcus's book right well you know the fourth one is Daisy's book 
Right, but I literally remember nothing about the dude she ends up with. Yeah, but I, I still feel this is the weakest book because yes. we'll, we'll get there when we talk about Marcus, but basically it it's kind of, for me, it's like character assassination for Marcus. Oh, okay. So we'll get there. Okay. Um, and, oh, something I did want to talk about, though, is that I think it's very interesting because three of the four books happen at Marcus's estate. Yeah, the so, first one, Annabelle and Simon hook up mostly at a house party. Clearly, this one's all a house party. Next one is is not at Marcus's estate at all. But then the final one all happens, again, at the estate. Yeah, I didn't remember that. Yeah. I don't know. It, it, this is just interesting, too, because, uh, and not only that. So, th I mean, this series happens there. Uh, Worth Any Price happened here. Uh, again, the magic happened here. Uh, well, again, then, the magic of his sisters. So that, yeah, yeah, again, the magic, right, was there. But so worth any price, though, it starts in a significant portion is at Marcus's yeah. estate. And then the Hathaway series as well, uh, two or three of those books happen in Hampshire. The first one is on really significant. Right. At, yeah. So I don't know. I'm just interested as well because uh, it does make me kind of want to go to Hampshire and be like, oh, is this place really the idyllic wilderness that Lisa Clayton well, did. Well, and the Ravenholds too is in Hampshire. So it, it is interesting at his estate there's also a magic wishing well. There's a magic wishing well, yes. So maybe it's just that. Like there's something in the magic ground that magical. Yeah. Romantic. All right, let's talk about Marcus. Basically Marcus, we just talked about how there are at least three books before this one that have Marcus as some kind of a character mm -hmm. so for at least three books he's been built up he's like this amazing character he survived he's a, a childhood abuse survivor so he's survived abuse in his childhood he's now a loving brother he's a supportive friend like lane said he's an earl who's very traditional he has one of the oldest titles in england but he's also not afraid to embrace the new he's a uh, in leader of industry he's making money um, the here in England. Exactly. He's stubborn, but he's open-minded. He apologizes when he's wrong. I mean, he's like the perfect man, kind of. He's not afraid to get his hands dirty. He's taller than her, but not too tall. Like he's the like she even says like waltzing with St. Vincent is so weird after waltzing with Marcus because she feels like she has to crane her head. It's like every little detail about him is described as perfect. Yeah, yeah. he's Although, one of the just no, like unrelated, but I thought of it right now thinking of the Walt sequence. Why does everyone think of brown eyes as exotic? I, I don't I, know. I guess it's, I don't know. I have brown eyes, so you know I'm very exotic. I just don't think even in like this Northern European countries where lighter colored eyes are more common, you'd still be shocked to see a brown eyed person. It's still yeah. like the most common. I don't know. D don't ask me that part. That's weird. But if you heard our episode on Lady Sophia's Lover, we talk about one of Lane's theories, which is that there are two kinds of men, two kinds of romance heroes, right? Oh, yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's the bad guy who will go good for you. Or there's the good guy who, if he has to do something villainous, it's for you. And Marcus is the second kind of hero. He is the best person. He is the best. He's moral. He is ethical he, he doesn't lie. lie he doesn't lie 
if he does something bad, if he gets in a fight or whatever, it's to protect you. Well, and like, it's from the littlest thing to the biggest thing. So like, she's very nauseous at a dinner, nauseated because a calf's head gets served and he lies about a species of butterfly to quickly get her out of the room. So she doesn't embarrass herself in front of everyone. So it's like even those little moments of rescue that involve slightly unethical behavior in his mind, it's only to protect her. Right. So, and I mean, usually I love this kind of hero. Yeah. Oh, the problem with this book isn't Marcus. It's Marcus plus Lillian. Yeah, it's Marcus and Lillian together. Lillian is such a boring character and I do not find them well suited at all. Yes, I would agree with that completely. You're supposed to believe that what they have in common is sort of their innate defensiveness and protective instincts combined with their, like, stubborn temper. Like, they both are easy to goad and don't know it. But I don't understand why that makes, like, that's supposed to be what they have in common is this, like, passionate temperament. And I actually don't get it. Like, how that would make a well-suited couple. Yeah, I don't get it either. I also... I don't usually have a huge issue with this, but in this case I do. So he's 35 and she's 24. She's just not mature enough for him. She's also a very young 24. Exactly. Like I'm, I didn't judge them stripping down to their like chemises and playing rounders until I'm supposed to remember like a 24 year old did that. Yeah. Yeah. She, she doesn't act 24. She acts 17. Yeah. And I'm supposed to buy that. Marcus finds this attractive and and, I mean that he finds it attractive fine but that he finds that they have so much in common that they want to get married that he's going to defy his mother so that they're going to get married not just his mother but all of society's expectations everything he ever thought for himself and not only that he is permanently entering into an alliance with that family Mm -hmm. and both of her parents are pretty weird and unpalatable yeah Definitely. So yeah, he's just, I think Marcus is supposed to be a very accomplished 35 and he really hasn't experienced any grand passion. Yeah. Which is kind of weird, but like it's exemplified in the scene that gets brought up constantly throughout the book. And I don't get why they all think it's so funny, but the scene where he says once a week is enough for physical desire and everyone makes fun of him as if, sexual appetite is totally tied to being really into your wife. Yeah. Yeah. Which like, dude, it's a stupid comment, but I just don't believe that Marcus has ever actually believed what he's saying. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly. why it's stupid. Yeah. It's pretty dumb. But I think also the other thing to me is that, so he is 35. He's the richest man in the richest peer in England. Mm-hmm. He's, basically he's this amazing guy who goes his own way. Everyone already knows he goes his own way. So what, like really this isn't a huge conflict for him to marry Lillian Bowman. She's just a rich American. Who cares? It's not like he's going out and marrying an ex prostitute or decides to marry his mistress. I honestly wish that this had been like, what, what if he married one of St. Vincent's cast off mistresses? Yeah. No, and that would have been way more interesting. I think the issue, too, is, like, this is a period of time in English history when a lot of peers were marrying rich Americans. Mm -hmm. The only reason it would have been particularly weird for him to do so is because he didn't need to. Exactly. But it's not like it was 
socially ostracizing. Yeah. So that's the whole thing is they the conflict was played up to be this whole thing that I don't think it would have been. Yeah. You know, his mother's disapproval, but he doesn't give two shits. Yeah. And his two sisters have already married Americans. Well, McKenna's not an American. He just he's, look, he's naturalized at this point. <laughs> I don't think naturalization was a concept back then. He's American now. All right. That's all I'm saying. They live in New York, so it's good enough West, for me. Westcliff's sensibilities are hot. I don't buy that someone with his sensibilities would be into a naive New Yorker whose only real character trait is reckless behavior, being into sports, and having a really good nose. Exactly. I agree. And I also think, well, I had major issues with some of the sex scenes that I ended up really taking away from Marcus's character for me. Yeah, I don't understand how anyone portrayed as as noble as he is would, one, try to make a grand declaration of love to a woman who's so drunk she can't pay attention to what she's saying, Mm -hmm. let alone then follow it up by having sex with her for the first time. Exactly. It was not very honorable. And completely out of character. I mean, this is a character that's been built up. This is the fourth book that talks about Marcus. This is a character that's been built up for four different books. And and at the at the peak, at the point where he has to make a, a very moral decision, he falls down on the job. So Yep. And and you don't really get an explanation as to why. Mm-mm. And it's not the question of having sex with her without them like talking through their issues. My problem with this scene is literally how drunk she is. Exactly. She's hammered. She is so drunk. She doesn't know what she's doing. Yes. She thinks she's dreaming. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. so not okay. Um, no, it's, it's absolutely inappropriate, non-consensual, very problematic, and out of character, which means I hated it all. So as we discussed uh, when reading the book jacket, nothing happens in this book. Nothing happens in this book. And the other issue with this book is that nothing happens. Yeah. Um, There's so basically the, no plot. The book opens with Lillian and Daisy in a perfume store. So they can tell you what the difference is between the sisters are because you didn't see it in the first book. Yeah. Apparently now Lillian is brash and practical and Daisy is sort of a little airier and fairy princessy. Yeah, Daisy's the the what's it called? The Manic Dreamer. Pixie Dream Girl. Yeah, Daisy's the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Um so Lillian gets her character trait because they're in a perfume store and she demonstrates having an exceptional nose. And yeah, because, she can identify everything in the perfume. And because the perfumer is just so impressed by her he puts a lot of care and attention into making her this perfume she's designed and makes some suggestions. Um, and you would think, wow, this is this going to lead to her being a businesswoman, to running a perfume shop? Is this going to lead to character growth? No. What it leads to is everyone thinking this perfume is magic because it smells good. Yeah, it's like it's an aphrodisiac perfume, apparently. But you know what? It only works on men who are already attracted to you. I don't know. I mean, hey, I don't, whatever. But uh, anyway, so so basically nothing happens, nothing happens, nothing happens, nothing happens, nothing happens. Oh, she gets kidnapped and Marcus has to save her. And then it's the end. 
Yep. And uh, so question, let's talk about this kidnapping because this is one of my least favorite things in the book. Let's do it. So Marcus's mother, as we mentioned, is a huge snob who's already pissed that her daughter's married low-born slash American men. So when Marcus expresses his desire for Lillian, his mom is so insulted and so upset. And because his mother has been assisting Lillian and Daisy with sponsoring them in society, she knows that St. Vincent was courting Lillian until Marcus had sex with her while she was drunk. So she felt the need to turn St. Vincent down. Um, And so apparently Marcus's mom calls in St. Vincent and is like, all right, you should kidnap her, take her to Gretna Green and force her to marry you against her will. Yeah. Yep. And St. Vincent, (laughs) St. Vincent is like, well, if I didn't do it, then she would have had someone kill she would have hired someone to kill Lillian. So really, I was saving Lillian's life. And all of that is maybe forgivable if he hadn't groped her while she was bound and gagged. Yeah. Well, yeah. threatening to have sex with her against her will. Yeah. 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 And like, even if it had just been the verbal threats, there's a scene where he like grabs her boob and like goes at her nipple until she responds. And it's yeah. very weird and gross. Yeah, it's not nice. And, uh, you know, I have no defense for it. I have no defense for it, except that I'm going to just choose to pretend that nothing in this book actually happened the way that it happened. Because Marcus received some character assassination. Uh, and then he's supposed to be like super happy with Lillian in the next book. And she's super happy. She had no problems with the whole rape because she was raped. Let's be honest. Yeah. She was raped. Um and if you were wondering, her reaction upon waking up is, I take responsibility for my actions, but also holy fucking shit. Where it's not am good. I? What did you do to me last night? Yeah, it's not like a con- woman in the afterglow. No. Nah. So, I mean, basically, I read, continue to read and enjoy, because I actually really, really like Devil in Winter. And honestly, I think it must be because I just decided that nothing in this book actually happened. This is I- a fever dream. Didn't, none of it happened because Marcus is a, an amazing guy and he would never rape someone. Yeah, that's fair. So, of course, Marcus gets to her in time. Yeah. Um, he takes her back, marries her, and that's the book. And that's the end. That's the end. Uh, offensiveness. We have already talked about this, but uh, Marcus has sex with Lillian while she's drunk. I'm not talking about drunk. I'm talking drunk. Yeah, like she finished all that was left of a bottle of spirits. Mm-hmm. gets the bottle stuck on her hand. Mm-hmm. He has to get it off of her hand. And while all of this is going on, when she's like, oh, I want the pear out of the bottle, is when he starts talking to her about how he has feelings for her and he doesn't want to resist them anymore. Yeah. And then when he finally gets it off her hand, apparently her like childlike glee, which first of all, that shouldn't be what turns anyone on, is what makes him finally say, I cannot resist her. And he starts going to town on her in the library, which so much of this, if she weren't hammered, would work for me. But the whole time I'm reading this, just going, this is her. He, when she wakes up the next morning, post their conjugal bliss, he, like, first of all, bathes her with a washcloth while she lays there with her arms over her eyes because she's so mortified and embarrassed. Well, and hungover, let's be honest. Well, hungover. But doesn't want him to be doing this. He doesn't give her a choice. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, and here's the medication for your fucking hangover. 
I'm sorry. If the only reason that like someone had sex with you is because they were in a state where while doing it, you knew they were going to be suffering the next morning. Don't have sex with them. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I mean, I was, I honestly did not remember that this happened. I did not remember that this happened this way in the book. I was really surprised when it happened. Cause I was like, damn Marcus, that is very odd for you. All right. Um, yes, and then we talked about how Lillian gets drugged and kidnapped by St. Vincent at the behest of Dowager Lady Westcliff. So that's pretty offensive. And then, yeah, St. Vincent kind of threatens to rape her and then fondles her while, after he chains her to the bed. Like, physically demonstrates that he could if he wanted to. And I guess you're supposed to think it's noble that he doesn't. I don't fucking know. Oh, I don't think... You- I don't think you're supposed to think that it's noble that he doesn't. I, then I how is he the hero of the next book? Because, like I said, this didn't actually happen, Lane. This is all a fever dream. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Um, so, St. Vince, let's talk about the sexiness kind of chronologically. Okay. Because Marcus starts to have, you know, more and more proximity to Lillian can't resist her and he's clearly like fighting himself over how bad he wants her yeah and so a lot of the makeouts are really charged and have a lot of build up and are actually pretty sexy to read the the makeouts are very very sexy so like and they're also kind of clandestine and hidden as well yeah. so which kind of adds a little bit to the sexiness because not only is he resisting the sexual attraction he also is like this isn't the time or place but I just like can't. Your dad is right there on the other side of the shrub, but whoops. Yeah. But it's, out for all that it's sexy, she also never consents to that. No, she, she doesn't. Smashing his chest to make him let go of her the whole time. Yeah. And then calls him an ass or a son of a bitch at the end of it. Yeah. She's like, that was not cool. So even as I'm saying, well, it's sexy because they're all clandestine, the first one's not super consensual. Yeah. Well, and I'm wondering, like, is this supposed to, is this supposed to show, so the fact that he is acting out of character, is this supposed to show that this is why they're meant to be together or something? But it's not a good out of character. It's no, not I know. I know. I'm just, I'm just wondering, I'm just wondering, like, what was supposed to happen? Anyway. Well, and it all ends up feeling very, like, he's taming her, too, which yeah. is gross. Anyway, and then all the sex is really bad because it's... all the sex is really bad. And then the, the one scene that I that stuck out in my head because I will say Claypus is a good writer, and what she does really well, in my opinion, is this really nice imagery. Mm-hmm. Like you, you, I always get a really nice picture of of the setting wherever it is. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned that the thing that I always remembered was um they they're so basically they're like making out very hot and heavy makeout after she's agreed to marry him in his study. And the sunlight is coming in from the stained glass window. And so like they're, they're all afraid to marry him at that point. They're in negotiations to get married. Yeah. And so they're, they're like rolling around on the floor because they couldn't resist it. And the splashes of color. And I'm like, so this image is like really nice. The problem with this sex scene is that there's no sex (laughs) and there's no orgasm. Yeah. Simon Hunt walks in on them. And then Marcus is like, oh, I guess we better stop. And I'm like, no, Marcus, you just locked the door. Also, can we talk about the really weird scene that I think I've already blocked out in spite of skimming this last night? That he takes her to the butterfly garden, Mm -hmm. proceeds to almost ravish her. Mm -hmm. And then he 
pulls his fingers out of her, stands up, and is like, see, you are an innocent. You let me get that far with you. And then makes her feel bad about it. Like, I actually think none of this book is sexy, and I'm just trying to defend it because I want Westcliff to be sexy. That this that's the problem that uh, the problem for this book is that Lillian and Westcliff shouldn't be together, and Rex, Westcliff shouldn't be a rapist. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean that's that's it. So I am going to choose to believe that none of this book actually happened. So I think overall I would actually recommend not reading this book. It's Which absolutely is, the worst of the four in my maybe opinion. Maybe you could like Devil in Winter if you didn't hate this. Yeah, I, I, I will say that I read Devil in Winter first before reading this. That makes sense. Yeah, and I probably read this, and by the time I got to the end, I was like, meh, whatever. You know? Yeah, I don't know what I could, uh, whatever this book. The first time I read it, I was so mad about St. Vincent's behavior. And the second time, I'm like, wait, Marcus also sucks. Wait, Marcus? Uh, it just it makes me feel, I just wish Marcus had had a real, a deserved love story. Because he did not deserve the love story that he got. Yeah, I mean, this is a 24-year-old petulant kid. Who's rich. Yeah. Yeah. I, he should have married a widow or a fallen woman and forced society to accept her. I mean, but even if it was, or, or like a, a, a businesswoman herself, like living in disguise, or a woman who ran a brothel. Yeah. Someone industrious who actually, like, did something with the brains we're told Lillian has. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Westcliff was a better character. And is a better character in other books after you finish this one. But yeah, this book, skip it. I hated this book more than I thought I did. Yeah. It doesn't hold up well to rereading. No, don't. So if you read this once and you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, well, I didn't think Marcus was that bad. You know what? Don't reread this book and just live in that memory because I wish that I could. Same. I, I want to remember the Marcus of all the other books and just like not know anything about his relationship with Lillian. Yeah, they just they got married and they're in love, which. OK, that's great. He married a, a, an American soap heiress. Cool. Yeah. Done. <laughs> well, we really hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review and subscribe. Talk to you next time.